We would like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land in which we record this podcast today, the Arakwal people of the Bunjalong Nation, and pay our respects to Elders past and present. Hello, Yummy Mummies. Welcome to Beyond the Bump, a podcast brought to you by Jade Caldwell and Sophie Pierce. This podcast is targeted at mums, mums to be, and women in general. And gents, feel free to have a listen too. It's a place to have real discussions and ask real questions, no matter how hard, with honest and authentic people. The aim is to have you feeling lighter, more supported, and more understood after every listen. Now, we can't promise that it will always be kept PG, so please be mindful around little ears. Here we go. Hello, Jade. Hello, Sophie and everybody listening. How are you this week? I have been generally good, but there's been a couple of lows. Do tell. I have giardia. (laughs) Oh, doll. That's not a good thing to have. That's not fun. And I think I've potentially had it for months because... Look, three out of five of our family members have been diagnosed with some form of parasite and likely we got them in Bali and we went to Bali in May. So, yeah, I think because we went to Bali quite soon after I'd given birth, I just assumed that my changed bowel habits were some kind of postpartum thing that I was just going to either grow out of or just get used to. But no, I have Giardia and another parasite. I've taken antibiotics for two days and I no longer have to run to the bathroom within 0.2 of a second. So lows, but also highs. Talk us through what symptoms you may have with Giardia. Well, I don't really know if anyone would like to know. I think it can be pretty varied, but... The main thing is, I don't know if you get that feeling when you have a coffee and you're like, I need to go to the bathroom right now or we're going to be in a situation. It's like that every time I need to go to the toilet. And yeah. And just... What else? The the scent, like obviously it's never a nice scent, but it is someone else. Neck level. My husband also has a parasite and he has started the medication as well and he farted last night and he goes, oh, my God, that's the first time in I don't know how long that I've been able to fart and it like hasn't cleared a room. So that is the household we have been living with, just thinking (sighs) we're all normal. We're not normal. But no. we are on the improve, which is fantastic. Well, and one fantastic. of my daughters, we finally got a sample off her because she was being so sneaky. She knew that to get the sample. So my tip is the easiest way to get a sample, obviously a child in a nappy, you can just scoop it out of the nappy and put it yeah. into a little container. But when they go to the toilet, you have to put like a takeaway container or something mm. in the toilet to catch it and then scoop it. Honestly, the things that we have to do that we think are so normal. Anyway, my daughter didn't want to do that because obviously she found it confronting just having her poo on show in a takeaway container in the toilet. Fair enough. So she kept lying to us and saying, oh, no, 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 I just need to go wee. I just need to go wee. And by the time she was pooing, it was too late for us to catch it. Anyway, we finally caught it last night. In a container? 
Uh, no, she was too scared of the container. So I laid lots of toilet paper yes. in the bottom of the toilet bowl to catch it so that it didn't go into the water. But anyway, we may end up with a five out of five strike record over here and we all won't know ourselves in a week's time. But yeah, so that was a low, but also getting it under control has definitely been a high. And it's one of those things in hindsight, you don't actually realize how bleh it was making you feel until you feel better. Yes. So anyway, I think that's a, probably enough. Actually, no, it's not enough poo chat. Did I tell the story on here about how I clogged the toilet at one of my favorite cafes? You've either Instagrammed it or you have on here, but we're here talking poo, so continue on. <laughs> I definitely did Instagram it, but I blocked the toilet at my favourite cafe a few weeks ago. Because you had Giardia. But now I feel like I have a reason and I'm like, do I go in there and show the guy that owns it my pathology results? Oh, my God, say, no. Don't, don't. Don't judge me. It was Giardia. <laughs> Anyway, that no. is enough shit talk. How are you? Stop shit talking. <laughs> I am, I am, <laughs> I am, how am You're I? You're not okay. <laughs> no, no, I'm actually really good. I woke up today uh, out of like just a real up and down week, which is actually quite fine because that is the reality of life. You can have good days and you can have bad days and you can have medium days. So I've ended up quite on a high. I just feel quite good and I'm feeling a little bit more energetic. But in the middle of the week, Yumi had croup. And I've obviously spoken about this on Instagram, but for those who don't follow me, I don't know why you wouldn't because we talk about poo there as well. Um, I <laughs> Everyone had- hits the unfollow button. <laughs> <laughs> that's for subscribers only. Uh, no, I don't have a subscription. Actually, that's another conversation in it. But anyway, so Yumi had croup. Look, two out of three of my kids have had croup. And so this would be about nearly the eighth or ninth time in 10 years of parenting that it's happened. So I'm quite aware of what happens when you need to actually seek help and blah, blah, blah. She woke up at about 11 o'clock. Actually, before she woke up at 11 o'clock, she woke up at about nine with a night terror. Mm. And you kind of have to wait a few minutes to work out if they're having a nightmare or a night terror because you don't know if they're awake. And she would go to sleep and then she'd sit up like she was in pain and then she would stare like, honestly, she was staring through me and then she would scream and be like, mommy. And I was so. They're the freakiest thing ever. They seem possessed. They do seem possessed and I kind of like put my hand over her eyes to see if she would like follow my hand, but there was just nothing there. And I don't know if like I'm sure there's a lot of people that have had had a child or have a child that has night terrors. We've worked out that she only seems to get these before she gets sick. So I was just like. That's ominous. Yeah. And I (laughs) was like. If they're not bad enough as it is. I know. You know something's coming. (laughs) I was like, I just don't know what's going on anyway. I kind of just kept whispering, you know, mummy's here, I love you, even though, you know, you're told just to lay them down and you can't leave your child in a night terror. You feel awful. Mm. So anyway, I did whatever I could do to feel better about the situation (laughs) and then I went back out. And then a few hours later she was, you could hear that, and I'm like, oh, gosh, she's got croup. What are we going to do? It always happens in the middle of the night when you don't have anything on you and you just know that there's probably 
probably going to be a hospital visit, but we try and do whatever we can. Usually we like put um, the shower on and we'll steam the whole bathroom out and sit there to try and, you know, make it a little bit easier for her to breathe. We have a Ventolin on standby as well because I clearly can't breathe. I have asthma. So we have a little one of those with the mask, but she didn't want a bar of that. And I think when they wake up in the middle of the night and they can't really breathe or they're coughing a lot and they sound horrendous, they also go into a panic going, what's wrong with me? Mm. So we tried to keep her calm and got her back down to sleep a little bit, but she was like (gasps) in her sleep. And I laid there pondering and I was like, what do I do? So I've worked out only recently that whenever I second guess myself as a parent, now I know that I need to do something because every time I go in and whenever I lay there and I go, oh, should I take her to hospital or should I? And then I go, usually I would walk into Harry and go, hey, do you think? And he's like, if you were asking me, I think you already know the answer. But I kind of just worked it out for the first time in 10 years myself the other night and was like, okay, I've got this. You've actually said that to me before. I think the last time you took a child (laughs) to hospital with croup, you went, I've I've worked it out anytime I question myself. That's okay. It's nice to have recurrent epiphanies. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's nice to lose your brain and then remember that you've, you've still got one. So anyway, I called the hospital and they said, thank you so much for calling and not coming in because you can definitely find out the dosage if you have it on hand. Of ready pred. Yeah, I'll put you through to this number. So it's like a 24-hour New South Wales hotline basically and they let you know what, you know, milligrams you need of whatever's in front of you. Anyway, when she was asking me these questions, she said, can I just hear her breathing through the phone? And I put the phone straight up to her and she was like, oh, that doesn't actually sound too good. I'm like, no, no, it doesn't. Hence why I'm trying to call and get this sorted. Mm. Anyway, then she was like, can you sit her up? I want to see if you can see the concaving, if there's anything like near her neck or in her chest. And when I moved her and we could see, she was really struggling to breathe. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, this isn't this isn't good at all. She just said, look, I'm calling an ambulance. We're not going to muck around with this. They'll be here in five or ten minutes. They ended up arriving. They were the most brilliant paramedics. He walks in and he's like, oh, what's going on here? He's like, hang on, pokes her little belly button. He's like, you full of farts? Instantly she just like giggles because it is quite scary to have, you know, two tall people with masks on come in in your home and be like, what? But And you were probably a bit nervous and acting a bit weird, so she would have been like, what's going on here? I feel like I was okay because I knew the process. I knew exactly what she needed. I just needed the goddamn milligrams. Like I just needed to know what I could do, but no one was giving it to me. So I'm like, okay, we'll wait. And when they said we'll call an ambulance, I was like, have I underreacted? I was like, Mm. have I really? Anyway, so he was like, oh, yeah, it's one milligram per kilogram. And I'm like, I know that, but I don't know how much to give her. I'm like, because clearly that wouldn't be 15 milligrams. And he's like, no. And I'm like, see, I would have overdosed her if I hadn't worked all this out. Anyway, we worked out it was three mil. 
three mil with her weight. I don't know how to do that mathematically on the packet, but we got there in the end and she took the medicine. We gave her some Nurofen because he said it will help with her throat and he walked off and that was it. And she went back to sleep after three hours because of the steroids. So you're Mm. awake that whole time because they're just buzzing. They also, she gets so hungry the next day. Like Mm. she eats three times the amount. So anyway, Look, she had a decentish night last night. She coughed a few times. I just cuddled her and put the doona over her. And I've really said to her, and I don't know if this is a mum hack, she's that one child that goes out in cold weather in a freaking singlet, either no shirt or a dress. And I'm like, now you need to wear layers or you need to wear clothes because you're going to get really sick and you're going to have to either go to hospital or blah, blah, blah. So long story Didn't short. Didn't Dr. Golly tell us that's not true? <laughs> yeah, he did. But that's he fine. Did. Use it with the kids. To, that's <laughs> fine. They don't need to know that. I'm just trying to get her clothes. No, but I think it's really good that you've brought this up because I feel like as parents so often we worry that we're going to be wasting people's time. And it is always, I feel like in the middle of the day, you're so clear headed, you have your options, like you have the GP and everything seems really attainable and accessible. And then suddenly it's always in the middle of the night that shit goes wrong and you go, well, I don't know if I'm being a hypochondriac. If I take it at ED, should I just manage this at home? Am I wasting the paramedics time if I call the ambulance? So it's really good to know that, yeah, if you're not sure, just go with your gut and you can 100%. call those hotlines and they can give you more advice. And I'm saying this, but I need to take the advice because I'm so one of those people who's like, oh, don't be ridiculous. That's so over the top. You're wasting people's time. And really that is what they're there for. Absolutely very grateful of paramedics. Well, there you go. <laughs> yes. Now you're you're going somewhere. Where are you going? Because so you're not going to be here. When this comes week. out, I will actually be in New Zealand for my friend's wedding, which is super duper exciting. And I'm not one to complain about traveling because I know I'm so lucky. But please take it from me today. Do not try and pack when you have your three kids at home with you because it is like trying to clean when your kids are home and mm-hmm. You go back. It doesn't work. Everything I try and pack, they go, oh, I want to put that on. Oh, I want to put that in this bag here. So I've been trying to pack for hours. I still have various items in various bags around the house that they're trying to stash. And, yeah, do it when they're not home. Do you know what I do? I wait till they're all asleep or early in the morning and I do it then and I know you're tired but I'm just like boom 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 yeah. boom because Our no flight one. is at 6 30 tomorrow morning which is, means we have to be there at 4 30 which means I don't even know if I'm bothering going to bed tonight because I yeah I'll probably be waking up at 2 30 so no I will not be packing in the morning but I understand what you mean but are you a last minute packer I'm everything last minute. Yeah. I'm making a speech at the wedding. I'm yet to decide what I'm saying. So there oh, we Jesus. go. Now, moving on, I do have a mum hack that is kind of a rude or fabulous as well. Okay. Here we go. This one was sent in. Give your kids carrots and put horse noises on Spotify. Tell them to pretend they are horses and feed each other in the stables. It's a win-win. They're entertained and they get their veg in. Oh, my God. Are you going to try that? Are you going to try that at home? I love that. I really love that. Yep, I'm going to do it with carrots, cucumbers, a bit of mm-hmm. lettuce. They can go between being rabbits to horses to Chickens. donkeys, whatever they want to be. 
All right, so that's the mum hack slash rude or fabulous, which is easy because we don't have to do another one. (laughs) (laughs) Now, we're going to get into today's episode. We spoke to the incredible Amy about her journey being pregnant with twins and finding out that one of her twins was not compatible with life and how the rest of that journey went for her, how she grieved, what the aftermath was like and what it was like getting pregnant again and going through another pregnancy. Obviously with this one we do want to say trigger warning. We speak Mm. about infant loss in this episode. So if that is not something you want to listen to at the moment, then that is absolutely fine. Yeah, a massive thank you to Amy for coming on and sharing her journey. Amy, thank you so much for joining us on Beyond the Bump today. Before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? I can. My name is Amy Rowan. Oh, God. Thank you for having me first. <laughs> Massive fangirl over here. Yeah, we um, always like people to start yeah, that way. On, that is fantastic. Start, yeah. <laughs> My name is Amy Rowan. I am first and foremost a mum to three beautiful girls, two that are here Earthside with me and one little angel baby watching over from above. I am 30 years old. I live on the surf coast in Victoria with my two little cherubs. And yeah, I guess that's sort of all there is about me. I'm a mum that's just trying to find her way in the world that's experienced, yeah, a bit of heartbreak along the way to get where I am today. Well, I'm sure that's obviously not all that you, who you are because that's why we've got you on the podcast today. So I just don't like to gloat about myself. I'm like, oh, I'm just, you know. No, lots of people find that the hardest question of yeah. the entire chat. Like, and who I am feel I? like especially when you become a mum, you're like, oh, my gosh. I'm a mum. I, I, I <laughs> Even though being a mum is like, you know, the most special thing to me as well, Sometimes you feel like you need to prove that you're more than that. And it's like, it's okay. It is very all-consuming. And how can you explain what a mum is and what you do every single day? It's just like saying a mum just isn't enough of people to understand what that means. But we get it and the listeners get it. So can you take us back? When did you decide you wanted to have kids? I've wanted to have kids my whole life. I'm one of four. I'm the oldest of four as well. Hmm. So I have grew up being the the mother hen of the family, you could say. People sort of have dreams and ambitions in their life and I knew one thing, the only really one thing I knew I wanted to be for certain was a mum and whatever else come along with it came along with it. So, yeah, forever, can you say that? Yes, you can. But uh, not long after I got married to my then partner, I knew I sort of wanted to have babies straight away. The fact that I hadn't had any before I got married was sort of surprising for me, I guess, because I am just the most clucky person on the planet. How long were you together? Before we got married, seven years, and in total we were together for 11 years. Yeah. Oh, wow. 16, we started seeing each other. So. Oh, wow. Yeah, went through the massive changes of life, I guess you mm. could say, together. And I was so naive going into having a baby, becoming a parent. I was just like, oh, yeah, you go off the pill and you fall pregnant, right? Like that's what happens. And I thought it took me a long time to fall pregnant. You'll laugh. It took me three whole months and (laughs) um, I felt like it was a long, drawn-out process. But in saying that, I just had to 
I had a very long cycle that I wasn't aware about. And I've actually found out in the last couple of months that I have PCOS and I've probably had it my whole life. So the fact that I've fallen pregnant naturally twice is a miracle. I just think my girls are supposed to be here more than I ever thought they were meant to be here after being told that. Can you just explain for the people that don't know what PCOS is? Yeah, of course. So PCOS is polycystic ovary syndrome. So it's when you have quite irregular periods, quite long drawn out time between your periods. And on top of that, I have adenomyosis, which is when your periods are just like you've just given birth, basically. Right. So I hadn't had a period this year from mid-March to mid-June and I was like, this needs to get sorted. My youngest is now three and I've got to stop putting it down to, oh, I've just had a baby. Like my my cycle's getting back into rhythm. I just had a test and an ultrasound to figure out what was going on down there. And so my body still ovulates. It's just the egg never releases from my ovaries. So that's what the main compartment is with polycystic ovaries. So I've got 52 <laughs> follicles that haven't been released in one ovary at the moment. And I've got 27 in the other. So I've got a lot of backed up issues clearly that i never realized was going on with my body until I thought I better investigate this further yeah so my children are miracles absolutely yeah absolutely I mean they all are but especially (laughs) (laughs) but I know what you mean about that first time you go to conceive I feel like no matter how long it takes you just you do. I feel like our whole teen years, we're told, you know, if you are on the pill, if you miss one pill and even look at a person, you'll be pregnant. You know, it's just hammered into you. Like it's the easiest thing to do in the world. And obviously not downplaying unintentional pregnancies and teen pregnancies and that kind of thing. But you do, you, you decide I want to be pregnant and you expect to be pregnant yesterday. (laughs) It's so funny. Exactly what you just said there. So you're told in school, like wear a condom and be a control because you have sex once you'll fall pregnant when the flip side of that that we're not taught enough I feel in schools and especially since finding out this diagnosis I'm like there needs to be more education around this stuff especially lately the the problems that can come with going onto the pill at such a young age so this has probably been masked my whole you know child not childhood um, (laughs) young adolescence yeah just through having a a fake period per se. So yeah, you're so right with that. So you were pregnant after three months. Tell us what happened from there. So I fell pregnant in August. I'm pretty sure it was. Yep. Found out I was pregnant in September and... Sorry, I'm going to be annoying. How old were you? I was 24. Okay. I just turned 24 when I fell pregnant. So I'd been married nearly a year got married quite young but had been with my partner forever it was just the next sort of thing that you fall into I think with life isn't it and uh, yeah found out I was pregnant found out quite early and I probably put off doing a test for a week and a half or so I was currently living in Sydney and I was doing soft sand runs on Bondi Beach with one of my girlfriends actually at the time and I'd get up and I'd brush my teeth before we'd get, I'd meet her and yeah, I'd start dry reaching and I was like, that's weird, but maybe I haven't eaten and like, I'm not an early riser. So <laughs> maybe 
was just adjusting to it and then, yeah, took a pregnancy test. It turned positive straight away. So there was no sort of doubt in my mind that I was pregnant. Also, just alluding to what I was talking to just then about the dry reaching. Then had a blood test and I think... I thought I was like four or five weeks booked in for a dating scan. I thought I was eight weeks when I booked in, but they backdated me to seven weeks and yeah, two little babies popped up on the screen. And so how was that? I cried. Happiness or scaredness? (laughs) Scaredness. Yeah. And was your partner there? Yeah. So I went to the scan with a full bladder as they tell you to do and halfway through my bladder was too full so I had to go out and half empty it which is so hard it's so hard anyone listening to this that's done that will know what I'm talking about came back in she couldn't um the sonographer couldn't see anything so she told me to go back and empty my whole bowel to prepare for an internal and by this stage I was sort of thinking maybe it's not viable and maybe false alarms and stuff like that but yeah, come back in and my partner was in the room in like a, in the corner of the back of the room in a chair and it was really dark. And <laughs> They always are, aren't they? Yeah, it was so, so far away. Yeah. So far away and he went quiet and was just as white as a ghost and I was like, I started panicking a bit then thinking, oh, there's no heart beating. And poor stuff just growing goes I'm just gonna let you know now that you're pregnant with twins and I was like (laughs) yeah and then I just cried a lot and she goes let me just look at both heartbeats though because this early on they might not be both viable like you sort of get given the reality of it straight away with twins but yeah she checked both heartbeats and one was 151 beats per minute and one was 153 they were there and they were there to make a scene like they have since the <laughs> they were born. <laughs> and so tell us what happened from there. Did you get your head around it? Did you bec- go from shock to excitement? Were you given the chance to do that before your next scan? Life up until I think I had that um, safe scan at 12 weeks felt like a bit of a blur. I was like, what the fuck? am I in for like I've twins that's two of everything like my head went so far forward instead of preparing for the now Mm. I probably went into a bit of panic I suffer with severe anxiety so I was like oh my god that just means like whole life dynamic whole house dynamic two of everything but at the same time I was like reassured I guess I'm like you know your life course is chosen for you you you're given the situations because I guess you can handle them. And if you can't, you'll learn how to handle with, handle them, right? I grew up in the country, so I've just sort of had a, you know, pick yourself up and just deal with what's ahead sort of attitude my whole life. So, but then we came to a lot of fork in the road. So eight weeks after my dating scan, I had a breakthrough bleed and I thought I was losing everything quick trip to the hospital to emergency. We were scanned in emergency. We were reassured that two heartbeats were present, but basically sort of told at the same time, just 
be careful and cautious until you get to that safe mark. But everything looks fine here. They could see where the bleed come from. Yeah, but we had a very busy few months after that. My then partner played football, so it was their off-season. And we had weddings and we had best and fairest and we had a trip overseas planned and we were going back to where we got married for like a first year reunion, I guess. First yeah, year yeah. Anniversary. anniversary, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I was a bit worried in the sense of travelling away from Sydney because I was like, what if something happens? What if I miscarry the whole lot sort of thing? But then I was like, you know what, if that happens, it happens and I'm not going to, you know, this is this is being a parent, isn't it? You just, you roll with the punches and you get on with it. Were you vomiting? Did you feel sick with twins? Oh, my goodness. Speaking of your HG episode, <laughs> I was ever diagnosed with it formally, but in saying that um, I was sick, I was really sick till like 16 weeks, but also I was mentally not okay. And it's only now that I've lived it and I can look back over it and through listening to your podcasts as well, especially Sophie, your most recent pregnancy, I was not thriving in life. I couldn't get out of bed. I had no appetite and I was just so mopey and I was just a miserable mess basically. But I suppose the sickness didn't help that. But yeah, I was vomiting and this is really beautiful, but I'm not going to hold back. I had diarrhea every morning. As soon as my feet hit the floor, I'd empty both ends. Oh, that's a tactical, yeah. like that's a difficult arrangement. That's a bin situation. You could feel it coming down low when you're halfway through. Yeah. Up, up, yeah. And I was just like, there's going to be a mess here one day, but I, I don't know which one to go for first. So, yeah, that was fun. And I thought it might ease after 16 weeks because I started to feel better throughout the day. But, no, it carried on the whole way through. I actually spewed the morning I had them as well. And then so what happened when you went to that 12-week scan? Yes. So the 12-week scan is like the most, I can remember it as clear as day because it's probably one of those core memories that I can never erase from my mind. We'd just flown back from New Zealand from our holiday and we were due to fly to Victoria that same day that we had the 12 weeks I think I was like 11 and a half to the exact scan to tell our families that we were pregnant with twins to share the exciting news and we went in to have the scan I I'm not a sonographer it's not my area of expertise but to me the babies looked fine they were pretty similar in size they had really long limbs and feet which I was like that's my partner he's quite tall my then partner he was six foot three so I was like oh great I haven't got a look in cool but towards the end of the skin that I wrote about twin B's brain development they were called twin A and B because we never found out what we were having and I was like oh what do you mean it looks fine to me and she sort of sort of showed us the differences between twin A and twin B's brain development and she's like but I'm just gonna have to go get my senior advisor to come in to explain to you what explain to them what I see and then just see how we go about telling you this. I had no ounce of positivity or yeah, no optimism left in me by this stage. I was holding on to hope from eight weeks to be told that I was like, oh, there's something severely wrong if you've got to go get a senior advisor. Then they came back into the room. The senior advisor wasn't free. So we had to go back and sit out in the waiting room for that 
waiting game and that felt like the longest wait of my life and it was probably five minutes, ten minutes at most. Anyway, she became available. She took us into her office and she, in a broken voice, basically said to us, your twin A is fine. It's growing healthy. It's perfect. It's on the charts. It's where it's supposed to be. Your twin B is also growing fine and is where it's supposed to be, but it's got a condition, a developmental condition with its brain, which is called anencephaly, which is when the last neural tube doesn't close over and the skull and the brain is exposed so it's sort of it's sort of right above the um, brow line is exposed and then down to like the back of their neck where their spine sort of attaches to their head and I had no idea what an encephaly was and no idea what a neural tube defect was so my heart went to okay, like, what do we do? Like, um, will the baby have surgery soon after they're born? I'm sure anyone would go to that question. Yeah. And they basically looked at me. She looked at me and said, oh, no, darling, these babies aren't compatible with life. And I think it's only now that I've learnt what those terms mean. It's commonly used when people pass away in car accidents and they, they sustain injuries that aren't compatible with life. But my head still went to, no, you're wrong. This can't be right. And she handed us a leaflet on anencephaly, told us to go home to be kind to one another, book in a follow-up appointment with our obstetrician next week, and don't Google anything. Was there any, this may be what the situation is, or was it this is how it is? Yeah, so my question was, how are you so certain? Yeah. Oh, I'm 100% certain this is is because of the developmental scans. And she just said, I'm so sorry, and handed me a box of tissues. Like she was so broken up about it. I, She had the hardest job in the world. I felt so. But in saying that, I felt like there has to be another way to share this horrible news, doesn't it? Like I just felt so alone and naive and like, oh, okay, like, but what's next? I've got a completely healthy, healthy baby in here. And I've got one that's going to pass away. Like I had so many questions to be told to go home and be kind to one another. I couldn't wait. I Googled. I definitely Yeah, I was going to say, so what did you Google when you got home? Because even if someone tells you not to Google, that's the first thing you're doing. You're going to Victoria to tell your family that you are having twins. And on that day, you find out that you have twins, but only one can survive. How did that even, like, gosh, how do you even process that then have to explain all that to family and loved ones? It's not until you go back now and you look you look at those events in your past and go, how did we muster up the strength to sort of just, like, so we went straight from that scan, got in the car and drove to the airport. Mm-hmm. And I literally wore sunnies. I looked so extra around the whole Sydney airport because I was so red-faced and upset trying to go through a script in your head to tell your nearest and dearest what you've just been told it was it was a lot but it was also for us we'd never this was our norm like we'd never been before so I was like well this is what we've just got to do it was kind of a blessing in disguise I guess you could say because we didn't have anything to compare it to I was like well this is our reality But yeah, all I wanted to do was go home, sit in my family couch and cry with my sister and the rest of my family, but my sister. 
Did you find the hardest part at that stage was the not having the answers? I feel like it's one thing to be told really hard, bad news, but to not only be grieving but also be confused must have been an awful feeling because you don't even really know at that point what you're grieving because you would have had so many questions. And me, control freak anxiety riddled has her life planned out this is the next step in life I was like whoa this yeah. doesn't happen like this wasn't in my plans no so I had too many questions so I was like the fact we have to wait until Monday yeah. before I could even like but I was writing them down I, everything I think it was it was it was getting jotted down and I was just kind of like but in the back of my mind, I held on to hope, I guess you could say so. It's like I was like, maybe they're wrong, you know. The definition for identical is exact same genetic makeup. So you're trying to, t- oh, also they're identical. So you're trying to tell me that one of my baby has, a, you know, an ab- abnormality with their brain and the other one's fine. I was like, oh, I was upset, but I was optimistic in the sense that, oh, just let me get to another specialist yeah. and be told actually, I guess you could say. And I think also at those 12 week scans, it's like you're starting to see things. And obviously to an expert, as you said, they can see more than us, but I do feel like you can convince yourself, oh no, 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 no. Like Mm. it just needs to get bigger and then you'll be able to see more and it will all be fine. And I was kind of like, oh, we're not even 12 weeks yet. So maybe we'll get to the next scan and it'll have formed. And I was like, looking back now, it's so naive of me. Yeah. I think you think whatever you need to, to get through those really hard periods as well. You, you, your mind sort of tricks you in a way, I guess you could say. And then what happened when you ha- went to that obstetrician appointment? So he basically straight away scanned us, told us exactly what we'd been told. I had a high risk pregnancy anyway, because they were identical sharing the same placenta, but they were separated by a membrane in saying that it was kind of like a blessing that they were separated by a membrane. But, um, we had a lot of steps to go through and just a lot of decisions to be made, I guess, before we even got to getting them to a viable gestation to take them. But he referred us straight on to the maternal fetal medicine ward because he's like, I can scan you, but I don't specialise in this area. So I'd be more comfortable for you getting referred on to here. And they were and still are to this day, I message them often and say, if it wasn't for them, I don't think I would have made it through. Like, obviously you say that about anyone that's looking after you whilst you're pregnant, but just the team and the care that you, that I got, we got from them was second to none. And they worked under a care team. So you had three midwives that you can contact at any given time and at any given appointment, you could be assigned whoever was on, but they also had a, I can't remember her name, her role, sorry, like a midwife consultant who you had on call whenever you had basically a question about anything. And she's an angel and I've kept in touch with her to this day. And I wish I could give families my expertise that she gave me, whoever stumble across this bump in the road in their pregnancy because it was second to none and she was amazing but yeah basically we got referred there and we had we were our senior doctor was a professor and I basically said to him I think this was like 15 16 weeks I was by then please tell me that you've delivered a baby like this before 
we've been given this journey for a reason and I'm ready to go full steam ahead with it. And he goes, yeah, I've delivered babies like this before. I I said, okay, well, get me to what gestation you want me to get to and because I wanted I wanted the twins to meet. I thought it was very special and important that Bella meet, got to meet her missing link in life. So they could both grow to a twin full term, but how long does it take? Like what 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 happens to that twin? Yeah. You're given the option to stunt twin B's growth so you don't have to basically they, they would not grow in the womb and you'd deliver it at the end and you're given that option. You're also given the option to obviously get rid of the whole pregnancy and that was out of the question. But in saying that, if you there was a lot of complications that come with cord clamping. So if we were to stunt twin B's growth, Willow, I can call her Willow now because yeah. she's a girl, it, it could make me lose the whole pregnancy. And I was like, well, I'm, I'm not risking that. Like we've been given this journey for a reason and I just want to meet my baby girls. And were there any risks of her continuing to grow? Because I don't like to use the term normal, but Willow grew in every other way like Bella did, right? Is yeah, she's a big girl. <laughs> and, and she's, this is not meant to sound insensitive, but she's alive inside yeah. you. Yeah, so the only problem our professor thought we could face along the way was twin the possibility of twin-to-twin transfusion, which is where one baby starts taking more nutrients than the other. We weren't really, he wasn't really worried about her growth being impacted in any way. It was just she would be born either sleeping or she would be passed away moments to days after birth. So... Yeah, we sort of were like, okay, well, if that does happen, do you know procedures? Like, is there things that can be done if I develop twin to twin? And he goes, yeah, I actually specialise in that. And I was like, great, that's all I needed to hear. So, yeah, to answer your question, so if she would develop normally and the rest of her body would develop fine the whole way along. And she'd get scanned and um, measured and I still have every single scan report from every single scan I had throughout that entire pregnancy of like her weight and length and everything like that measuring against Bella's. So can you talk us through the birth? Yeah, of course. So I'll take you back a bit though. So at 25 weeks, I was nearly 25 weeks, they actually thought I developed twin-to-twin transfusion syndrome. So I went in for a scan. I wasn't... What happened with me is I got really big, really quick, and they couldn't understand why. So I was monitored. I'd have three scans a week for a bit there. And they noticed that Willow's sac, so her like pool of amniotic fluid, was filling up a lot quicker than Bella's. So they wanted to keep an eye on that to make sure that Bella still had bladder activity just in case she wasn't getting nutrients, which she was. And it got to a point there where Bella had just decreased bladder activity. So Willow was just making her mark on the world and just going, hey, I am. And this was just, this had nothing to do with her having an encephalitis. It was just an identical twin thing. Yeah, I actually got put next to identical twins in NICU who developed twin to twin. So I shared stories with their mum. Oh, wow. 
what are the chances? And she was looked after by our professor as well. And she's like, oh, I've been wanting to come over, but I don't know what to say. I'm so sorry. Stop. Like, it's fine. Well, because for some people being next to identical twins would be too hard and then for other people it may be exactly what you want to see. It was, yeah, like I didn't think anything of it. My mum was like, oh, my goodness, you're next to identical twins. And I was like, and? I was like, how special is that? So, yeah, there was no yeah, this can happen sort of thing, twin to twin transfusion. So went in, got scanned, Willow's pool was very full. They decided to do an amniofluid reduction on me, which is just basically stabbing a needle into my belly to drain off the excess fluid on Willow's side. So the way they do that, they put a bit of local anesthetic in the site area, they um, ultrasound to make sure they're not going to hit one of the babies and the needle's going into the right spot. By the way, guys, I hate needles. Like I am petrified of needles. So this just tested me in all How ways. big was the needle? I didn't even look at it, but apparently <laughs> it's like a straw because gravity works to just um, drain the fluid out of the stomach. So it worked. It did its job. I got 2.1 litres of excess fluid drained off of Willow. So that just shows how much I was carrying. My wow. professor actually told me not to walk down the street Sydney's quite hilly, Coogee's very hilly, and we lived up quite a large hill. And he said, the pressure on your cervix, you could, your waters could make. Yeah. And this was at 25 weeks. 25 weeks. Wow. I'll have to send you through some photos. Yeah. That was big. But it worked and it actually got them to see that my my girls hadn't developed twin to twin like they thought. It was just a fluid abnormality between them because – Willow didn't have the connections there, obviously because she had half of her brain and skull missing, to regulate her amniotic fluid levels herself. So she couldn't swallow her amniotic fluid through and pass it out like most babies would. I learned so much. Yeah, I didn't even know that. I didn't either until I got told it, but it stayed in there. (laughs) You learn so much, yeah, things that you just would never probably learn with a normal singleton pregnancy so that bought me some more time which was great but um I also started contracting because obviously my uterus uterus was shrinking had to get admitted to hospital monitored overnight so I didn't progress into preterm labor the girls were 28 so he wanted to get me as much further along as I could because he's like the, the more time they're in there the less time they're in hospital well Bellin was going to be in hospital, but I still spoke about them like yeah, they were both going to be in hospital. Was there part of you that just held on hope that you would birth her and it would all have not been true? The whole time, so. Yeah. And I think it's only natural. Like, yeah. I don't know, like you saw, if you saw what I saw when I went to a scan, like one scan I went to, they literally had to wait for the twins to stop kicking each other Hmm. because they couldn't get measurements. And I was like, you can't tell me. So, yeah, sorry, girls. Do not apologise at all. Yeah, I did. I did hold on to hope. What mother wouldn't Mm. (laughs) tell me that? But in, in referring to what I said before, I filled up really quick after that first drainage and he, I got to 32 weeks and he wanted to drain me again. And the second drainage was really quite, I don't know if it was painful or I just knew what was coming this time. Willow actually kicked the needle from the inside and it looked like 
my partner at the time was laughing. He's like, it looks like there's a fish on the hook. And I was like, shut up. I've got a needle protruding. Sorry for laughing. It's not funny. Not a funny joke. It's not funny. Like I can feel stuff this time. At least last time I was like, I just had to take two. Yeah. So after that one, and I got 2.6 litres of excess fluid at that time. And so how are you feeling mentally at this stage? Like how are you? Pregnancy is hard when it, when you're pregnant with one, I can imagine pregnancy is even harder when you're pregnant with two, add in the layer, enormous layer that you're going through. Like, how were you? I think I spoke about this before. I was, I was just taking it in my stride. Like this was normal for me. I didn't have, like, I didn't know what a normal pregnancy was. So, but looking back, I was fragile. I was probably very depressed. Um, I was sleeping a lot during the day, you could say, because I had severe pregnancy insomnia at night. But I was journaling heaps. I was just documenting my day-to-day happenings along the way and I was just riding the wave. Like, what else do you do? All I'd wanted to be my whole life is mum. So this is the way I've got to do it. This is the way I've got to do it, I guess. And did you do anything to prepare for going into that stage as a first-time mum, knowing that you were going to be a mum for the first time, but you were also going to inevitably have this grief as well? I did the best that I could. I connected with a couple of families that the maternal fetal medicine team put me in touch with that they'd sort of dealt with before um, having a baby with an encephaly and how they prepared for it. I took the advice from Kate. Kate, that's her name. I just remember that. <laughs> Light bulb moment. The midwife consultant in terms of like how do you prepare for a birth and then also prepare to organise a funeral for a baby that you never met. And I got really funny about that. I didn't want to organise it until I'd met her because I didn't want to say goodbye to her before she was even here. I didn't want to go on before, um, yeah, before she was even here. So probably could have prepared for that better, but looking back, I just did as best as what I could and what my heart told me to do. But, yeah, some funny little things that I did, like I couldn't buy one outfit. I had to buy two of everything. I just couldn't bring myself to... Oh, gosh, if you're feeling two babies kick inside you, regardless of what is about to come, like I, I like I feel like I would be the same. Yeah, it was, Um, so that I guess is a coping th- strategy that I used. Yeah. Getting the nursery prepared and exquisite and beautiful. What what does a nursery mean, ladies, though? I've learned yeah. that because um, <laughs> I spent so much time in there and she slept in there. <laughs> but that was just really important for me to have, make it as normal as possible. But was that hard setting up the nursery for one? It was hard. I had, you know, the one bassinet and not the two. But the little thing I did was, um, yeah, I got matching outfits with her twin sister, whatever I got. And I donated them back to the hospital after we left. So 32 weeks after my second drainage and the pain and 2.6 litres of excess fluid being taken off and I was exhausted, I wasn't sleeping at night, was not coping mentally, I was done and I basically said, book me in. I said, what's the goal for me to get to? And he said, I'd love you to get to 34 weeks. I said, we'll do the paperwork because I'm done. Like 
I'd tapped out. I had got my, I'd chosen a C-section. I'd heard stories of some babies being born vaginally with anencephaly that actually would pass during birth from the pressure. And I was like, you know what, just take that equation out of it, have as many precious, lasting, special memories we can have in the nicest way possible. So we did the paperwork and he booked me in and I was all locked in for Thursday, the 12th of April, 2018. And I had them at 8.59am and 9am. So one minute after the other, but it's really crazy that morning we (laughs) come into the hospital and we're prepping and everything. It's funny that I can look back and laugh at it now because they just must have thought I was nuts. And they were like, now, is there anything we can do for you to make this process more comfortable, easier? And I was basically like, don't show me the epidural needle. I just, I can't see it. And they're like, yeah, okay. And That and wasn't was really like, what we were referring to. That's it. I just don't need to see that thing that's been put into my back. But I had told our midwife team that memories were really special. They tried to get Heartfelt in, which is a non-for-profit profit organisation that come in and take photos during the birth and afterwards for situations like ours, but they actually weren't available on the day. So my beautiful midwife consultant again, I've referred to her a lot, Kate, she got her camera out and she hmm. took some beautiful memories for us and Bella came out first and she came out because obviously you're told how they could come out, they're 34-week twins. I had had a couple of rounds of steroid injections, but in saying that they could have come out limp, they might have needed breathing support, but Bella came out bellowing, like screaming, and I was like, that's that's Bella, that is Bella. So she was placed on my chest first, and my one request with Willow, obviously we knew she was Willow, when Bella came out was I just wanted to see that her in the most purest form. So before she was placed on my chest, they put a little beanie on her head and just, she was so beautiful. She still is beautiful. I have photos of her everywhere. And they basically just got put in my chest and cuddled each other whilst I was getting put back together, I guess you could say. Then um, I was weird into recovery and they kept Willow with me while they did the tests and measures and that of Bella and I don't know who, I think Gary had her for a second. Oh, no, he had Willow for a second while they were wheeling me on his chest. And then when I got put into the recovery unit, they gave me Willow and I basically cuddled her, held her, let her hold my finger until I was wheeled back to the room. But before we went back to the room, we got taken to a little suite on our own and we got photos of the girls together on my chest and they just held each other's hand the whole time and then when we were done there Bella had to go down to the NICU because she couldn't stay with me because she had to go get put on all her machines to make sure all her vitals and stuff were good so that was hard and I think I have dealt with that separation anxiety up until she was just two and a half probably when I realised I really needed to put her into daycare following some mental health issues, marriage breakdown and all that. I No one had ever looked after her before apart from my mum or my family. But I think that's where, looking back, that's obviously where that stemmed from. And then myself and Willow and Gary, my then partner, 
got Willow to our own room to just get like as many lasting memories as we could for with Willow. And I remember looking over to him at one stage and I was like, oh, I'm hogging her. I don't even think you've got a photo with her. Here, you take her. And then I got really funny. I was like, actually, I want her back. Like, what if she passes away and she's not in my arms? I want her back. I just, I want her in my arms. Because we didn't know how long she was going to be here for. And it was then when Gary said to me, I think we need to invite your mum in. And I said, both of our families are in Sydney. I said, I can't just invite my mum in. Let's get both of our parents in. Because we weren't really sure what we wanted. And I just didn't want too much I'm not sure anyone can relate to this, but yeah, too much distraction. So they came in and got to meet her and then she passed while they were there. It was like she knew we had our support system around us and her heart just stopped beating. She didn't have control over her jaw and her nose was running quite a bit and I was sort of like called the nurses in and they took her heartbeat and they're like, yeah, she's passed. So then I feel like everything started again it's like you'd been through that massive morning having the girls meeting them both and then it's like okay but pick yourself up dust yourself off because you've got a baby in Niku that needs you now (laughs) it's not until you recount it like this and you think that is like one that is one high emotion to the lowest of lows like you've literally experiencing the complete opposite. You're, you're experiencing birth and death at the same time. And still, in the thick of it, I was just kind of like, well, what else do I do? Like, Are you in shock? Like, was it shock? Um, the shock, I think, hit me two days later or the day later. It was like, in fact, that night I, I had a nurse came in. She's like, I need to start teaching you how to hand express like why aren't we taught these things like I didn't know I had to learn how to hand express to get my milk to come in usually you just have your baby and you chuck that on there but no I had to learn how to get my milk supply in I just sat there and I was like I don't know how to do it can you do it for me like I can't milk myself I don't know how to squeeze and pull right and then they put Willow in a cold cock for us so she could sleep with us in our room and I was like just give her to me like maybe that will help my body so I just cuddled her whilst this beautiful midwife milked me basically every two hours on the dot and then got up the next morning, cuddled Willow the whole time before we went down to Bella and then I got to see Bella again for the first time since I'd said goodbye to her after those photos. And then, you know, we had the family up so the siblings wanted to come in and meet the babies and I was just like, I know what you want but I don't want this right now. And I probably didn't say it enough back then and I didn't, but it's hard because you don't want to be selfish because they're excited too, but I just wanted to close off for the world and I sort of did do that for a while, I guess you could say. I wanted to be, you're all seen Sing 2? I'm guessing you have. Sing 2? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, 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 the best. That like runs away and like lives in a secluded spot after, mm. I wanted to be him. And I wanted no one to disturb me or tell me how to do something. I was like, I'll figure this shit out on my own. And I don't want anyone else telling me how to do it because guess what? You have not done this before. So just shut up. But I didn't say it enough back then. I probably people pleased a bit too much, but what do you do? 
I mean, also you didn't know how to feel at the time either. Like you didn't know. You don't know how to feel some days. And how do you, like I know that twins can have a, you know, obviously a big special bond and I've heard that, you know, they were so in tuned with each other because they were in the womb for that whole time. I worry about this all the time, Jade, especially like the early days after she came home. So she came home from NICU when she was three weeks and when I couldn't settle her, I'd think these stupid thoughts like, fuck, have I done the right thing? Like, does she just miss her sister? And it's just like you got to not let your mind play tricks on you. But even now, like looking at her and like starting kinder this year and going to school next year and I'm just like, do you ever just look up to the sky and think like I'm missing a part of me? Do you know what I mean? And you just... So I have had moments where I've second-guessed the decision I've made, but it's just, I guess, because I'm a caring mum. I don't think any decision was going to be an easy one out of that. No. (laughs) I think when I fell pregnant with Sadie, that happened very quickly. I reckon I'd got one period back in, like, normal cycle and I sort of fell pregnant quite quickly with her and I was like whoa I've got a lot of healing to do still we both did at the time me and my partner but at the same time I was like this baby's been handpicked from heaven by her sister like she's had something to do with this and call me crazy if you want but watching them two play it's like it was Willow's doing your sister's got the sister she's been longing for and what's the age gap between the two? Just under two years. So then comes an emotional roller coaster with that. So Sadie was born in two weeks into the um, lockdown, first ever lockdown, which was hard as because I'd never left Bella for that not like long amount. Yeah. Of and I just thought that, oh, yeah, I'd go in and have this baby and Bella would come in to see me. So I didn't get to see Bella for five days, which was just mind-blowing and just going in to have a baby, another baby brought up so many emotions that hadn't properly been addressed or healed, I hadn't properly healed from. And yeah, that was a lot. And can I ask, is this with your current partner or was this baby with your husband? Yeah. Okay. They've got the same dad. Yeah. Um, And then yeah, chucking a marriage breakdown in the middle of COVID on top of that. Oh my gosh. So before you had Sadie and after you had the girls, yes. did you do any kind of counseling Not or together. anything after that? And that's probably one thing I regret a lot. Not doing, but at the same time, we were both doing our own thing. So I was like, oh, we're both doing it our own separate ways. People heal so differently. Mm. And I didn't want to force and put my way of healing onto him. And I didn't really want him to put his way of healing onto me. I was writing, I was sharing a lot in my social media. I was connecting with people that had been there before. I basically created a community, and that was my coping mechanism. But yeah, we. I just. I think that was probably one of the biggest things we both grieved so differently. But can't change that. I probably wish I had have acknowledged the fact that I wasn't coping a lot sooner than what I did. And in what ways was that manifesting itself? Um, looking back, just no real routine in my days. But 
I was so depressed, um, anxious, just sleeping in a lot more, struggling to put together the normal happenings of a day, being fretful that something would happen to Bella when she wasn't in my care, not prioritising me time. The list can go on, ladies. Mm. Did you feel like you could enjoy your time with Bella? Sometimes, but then it'd get to that, you know, cluster feeding stage of the night and like it was on me to get her to bed. And yeah, I think we need to normalize the way that every parent and every way people parent is very different because I would look at like people on social media or my other friends and I was like, why are you all doing it so easily? Like, Mm where's the people showing the struggles? Like I can't get this kid to sleep off me. I had the hardest breastfeeding journey ever with her. I had so much milk. So I had to teach my boobs that I still didn't have the twins. So I had Mm. to. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's all these things that you don't really think about. And then because she was in NICU for so long, I was just up every two hours pumping overnight while I was home and then getting up in the morning to go in, give her a first feed of the day because I went home obviously without her because she was so little. And it was just, I was comparing myself to my mum friends that had a normal pregnancy and thinking, why am I doing it so wrong? Like why am I struggling so hard when really I probably just listed off the whole reasons why I was doing it so hard. But yeah, it, it, um, when Bella was six months old, we moved from Sydney back to Victoria, which is where we were both originally from. My then partner got traded different football teams and everyone said to me, oh, it must be so much better being back and, you know, close to family. And I was like, absolutely not. I'm an anxious mess. I don't want to leave my house. I don't want visitors. I don't want people coming into my space and judging me for the way I'm doing things. I'm trying to find my feet on my own, but I have every Tom, Dick and Harry given their input when I have an arts for it. Like it was just overwhelming, sensory overload, I guess you could say in a sense. And it got to a point where it was just for Bella's first birthday. Bella's first birthday and Willow's Remembrance Day we had. And I was like, I can't regulate. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how long I've been not okay for and I need some help Mm. don't we all and what happened then uh I linked in I went basically went to the doctor I linked in with a psychologist who I still see to this day and basically got on some medication to just bring everything down um a notch and yeah she's I just didn't want to put had that label put on me that I wasn't okay and there was something wrong with me but yeah. I think especially when it's something you've wanted for so long and you almost fight yourself like, no, this is what, you know, and you almost probably put more pressure on yourself and this isn't to blame you, but you were like my one, you know, my one ambition in life is to be a mum. And then you kind of start talking to yourself even worse because you're going, no, this is your purpose. You should be doing this Excellently, which is just ridiculous. It's not true, but I think it's similar with people who go through struggles with fertility and it's like, no, this is what you've wanted for years. You've spent this much money getting to this point. Why aren't you loving it all the time or why aren't you a complete natural at this or why why are you finding this hard? Well, the answer is everyone finds it freaking hard. (laughs) But I think, yeah. Trying to find my own sense of self again I guess I was actually recently speaking to 
someone local and said, like, the past me was gone. I gave birth to someone completely, birth to a baby, but I also gave birth to a new person in me. And I didn't know what that person looked like. And I was really struggling with, you've spoken about this in one of your podcasts before about like, what's my new norm going to look like? Like, what's my work life going to look like? And I was trying to make all these, I feel like I was not worthy, but yeah, sort of worthy. It was a lot coming to a head at the one time and me thinking that I need to figure needed to figure it out all at once. Mm. And I still haven't figured it out, but I'm winging it. Yeah, I think that sense of identity <laughs> is so hard because in some like some aspects we're completely changed and really I think in all aspects we're completely changed. And the hardest part is trying to then, you know, with jobs and that kind of thing, fit just little aspects of our life exactly back into what it was before. And you haven't only just become a new mum for the first time, you've also become the mum to an angel baby as well. And so I'm, I imagine all these different identities were kind of clashing. Like where do, you fi- where do you find your new normal in all of that? And I didn't even know who I was anymore. And I think it was exacerbated even more so when my marriage broke down. I was like, like I've been with this other person for a oh, little yeah. years. And you sort of just go, who am I? Like, what do I do to fill my cup up? Like, gosh, you know, I thought it was, you know, giving to my kids, but that's not filling my cup up. I learnt. I did this like life course basically about finding my why. Um, not long after I, by Blake Warren Thompson, I should give him a shout out. He's amazing. Um, and it's <laughs> oh, good. It worked. <laughs> um, it, it worked. It, it really, it helped me like reset. And I think like, what do I do for me? What are grounding things that I do for me? Yes, I love being a mum, but I'm not just a mum. What do I want to do for Willow to forever acknowledge her? Then it's sort of just rolled on and I've done some amazing work with Red Nose and, yeah, just. You make such a massive point with the whole fact that you were with that partner for, you know, gosh, from your teenage years into becoming a mother and a parent and then just to obviously stop that identity and try and understand a new one of everything that you've been through but also you're now an adult, you're now independent it's like, but I've never done this on my own ever. So who who am I just as that person? And you've also got to find out how to be that person while you've got other kids that you're trying to raise and you're trying to show them who they can be. And I, I guess this also goes out to a lot of people who have relationship splits because they would also go through that identity crisis of who am I now and when do I find out who I'm going to be and like is there a book what I can read so I can feel like oh hang on that's where I'm supposed to be but is it really just time and truly understanding and and respecting yourself enough to go that you're enough for now and what will come will come so true what you just said there like I'm I'm an independent person now but I felt so not independent I was like I've got two little humans one basically under one and one, two and a half. And I was like, how do you just navigate them? I think this is why I started. Oh, sorry. I didn't start on medication until after my marriage breakdown, I should say, because I sort of went to 
my psychologist and my head was doing exactly what it did when I sort of found out I was having tweets. It was going a hundred steps forward. It was like, how am I supposed to meet someone again? Who the heck is going to want to be with the person that's got baggage? Like instead of just getting through the days as best yeah. yes. putting one foot in front of the other. But yeah, that was massive. Cause I was like, I don't, I didn't even know who I was in myself without this person. You wouldn't have. I'm still trying to work through that as because it's been a lot to unpack, I guess you could say. But my biggest message I think to those that are going through something similar or have been is um to not sort of think of it like there's a tick list. Like some days growth is muddling through it as best that you can. I read that somewhere a few months ago and I was like, that's the growth. Like that's the finding the you. You just sort of like making it through the days and just being present and aware that this isn't forever, but it's for now. And yeah, it's been a lot, ladies. <laughs> I find also even when it's the like to see light of some things when you're in a dark place, to see the when when everything's foggy and blurry and you can't really understand and you just don't know the answer to any whys that are going through your head. To, to to really understand that this is where the beauty flourishes. It's like you're almost the dirt, you're in the dirt, and then from the dirt grows a seed and the seed starts sprouting a flower and you do have to start in this muddly place. So now even when I get back to like a real anxious, dark place, I am now really training my my thought process to understand that it's okay to be back at ground zero because we always end up flourishing. Yeah. No matter how long it takes. You literally couldn't have said it better. I relate to so many things that you say all the time, Jade. I'm like, oh, she's me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's just, it's a, it's a, you know, it's always going to be mentally challenging. Obviously you have been through absolute hell and back and here you are sharing your experience still going through the motions and I think that this is we don't want to hear the like the happy ending so to speak I feel like this is what people need to hear and this is what what we're all at through stages of our life and like you know obviously we want to hear you being happy but you're going to do a lot for a lot of people right now just sharing your story in this part of the time that you're in and that's exactly why I think I started to speak about my experience. Initially, I was like, one, what's anencephaly? Can we yeah. shine a light on that? Neural tube defects, they happen and there is beauty in them. And three, I guess, yeah, everyone has shit days. Like ain't, life ain't no straight line. But, yeah, I've come a long way from those five years since losing my angel. but. I'm still not, still don't have my shit together. We all don't. That's just normal. That's called being a mother and, <laughs> and a woman. Really nice for people to hear. Yeah. yeah. Do you think grief is a massive part of like what we should be learning before we actually go through grief? 100%. Like don't you reckon that's also a life skill that we should also understand because when it hits unexpectedly, 
I think, yeah, you're not going to just call up a therapist and you're not going to do all these things because you're in complete shock. It's so weird how little it's talked about and how uncomfortable it is. And I will admit I'm someone who kind of until we started doing this was very uncomfortable with grief. Like if someone had a loved one die, I didn't really know what to say, didn't know what to do, was almost avoidant. And it's so weird that we're so uncomfortable with it when unfortunately we're all going to experience it. Like it's one of the only inevitable, don't they say the only inevitable thing is death and paying taxes and actually not everyone pays taxes. So, you know, like it's just so weird that that it is so uncomfortable. And also they say death is as beautiful as birth because if you really think about it, that's just our life cycle. I've said that um, it hands down it was one of the most heartbreakingly beautiful moments in my life. And it's really weird. I thought I'd lost a few, quite a few people close to me over my life. So when this come along, I was like, oh, yeah, like I've dealt with death and I've experienced grief. And until it's a part of you, like a physical part of you, it just it changes you forever. And I think that yeah, it needs to be talked about more and just be a bit more normalised and just about how it can how it can impact your day-to-day happenings. If someone has a friend who is going through, whether it be, you know, miscarriage, infant loss or something like that, how can we help people or what can we do? So I've been um, working alongside Red Nose since 2021 now, trying to shine the light basically on the services they have to offer. I didn't think that I fit the bill to reach out to them because I didn't have a child suddenly pass away from SIDS. And so the work I've been doing with them is short, sort of to show people that you don't have to have experienced loss in that way. It's just experiencing loss. Mm. They have services available for parents, grandparents, siblings. Like for when Bella grows up, they'll have services available to her. If she's got questions about missing her sister, like, go to Red Nose, there is an influx of services that they have available. I'm a love and affirmation or two and <laughs> a friend of mine that I've connected with via Instagram, Priyanka Saha, she has created these baby loss affirmation cards. Um, I can send you the details of them and they are just such a nice keepsake to have to give for yourself, to give to a friend, just to hold space for that person, just to go, I see you, I hear you, I can't fix it, but I'm here and I'm hoping that these can help you on your journey. But, yeah, they're the two services that I'd say. And SANS, SANS Australia, they work alongside Red Nose. Have you started speaking to Bella about Willow or will there be a time where you start to share that story? Yep, for us. So already have started speaking and we have photos of her up around the house and I think she gets it to an extent. She just says, yeah, that's my sister that's in the stars. Um, I recently got sent a book by Elizabeth Sophia called If You Were Here. And I read it to her the other night for the first time and I pulled like an absolute baby. She's like, Mummy, are you okay? And I'm like, no. <laughs> oh, I finally knew. Do you want I'll say yes because it's bedtime <laughs> it's and easier. we need to wrap this up. <laughs> I'm going to sleep. 
Um, Where do you want me to start? (laughs) I was like, oh, I'm just upset because I miss your sister, Willow. She goes, yeah, Willow's an angel. And I was like, oh, Oh, gosh. Gosh, they're Um, beautiful. Just normalising the chat around. Mm. um, That's a really good gift for anyone whose kids have lost a grandparent as well or, you know, someone close to them. She, She very kindly gifted them to me and my girls and I think it'll help, especially with school starting and such next year. But yeah, she's a trooper, that one. Oh my goodness, ladies, I've got to get my child from kinder. Yeah, okay. we've got to go. <laughs> Speaking of kids, we've got to go. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your story. You are—you said she's a trooper. You yeah, are a trooper. a trooper. I don't think so some days. You should see my house at the moment. We don't <laughs> care about ladies. your freaking house. <laughs> I just Neither hope do help someone else out there that's going through something similar or has been because you're not alone. And there are services available to help. And may I just say, it's also for the not for the people that are going through this, sitting here and just being a person that can understand what someone has gone through in that situation. Mm. I'm respectful and I appreciate. So really thank you for letting anyone hear this story. Thank you so much, girls, ladies, I should say. It's been an honour. Bitches, hoes, whatever. Bitches, hoes. Tell us what you want. Sexy mamas. All right, now, go your child's waiting at the school gate. Get oh, out of here. It's been great. Thanks, yeah. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Bump. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and give us a review. If you didn't, good on you. You can also follow us on Instagram at beyondthebump.podcast to stay up to date on behind the scenes and future episodes. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.